0: Apple, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Imaginary Worlds, a show about how we create them and why we suspend our disbelief. I'm Eric Malinsky. I always appreciate when people discover my podcast and they go back and binge through the old episodes. And then I get feedback all of a sudden on an episode that came out years ago, but it feels new to them. And one episode that I get a lot of feedback on is an episode that I did in 2015 called Rolling the 20-Sided Dice, which was about Dungeons and Dragons. Now, I had never played D&D as a kid. So I spent a few months at a game shop in Brooklyn recording myself learning to play. I also talked with some creative people now about how D&D influenced them and in their adult careers. But one of the most common questions that I get from listeners when they discover that episode is whether I'm still playing. And not only am I still playing, But I'm playing with the people that I met in that episode. In fact, I'm still playing a character that I created, not in that episode, but very shortly afterward. So I'm going to play you a much shortened version of my 2015 episode. I'm just going to play the tape of me at the game shop learning how to play. And then afterwards, we will hear from my D&D group about the epic journey we've been on since I recorded this episode three years ago. The Brooklyn Strategist is a game shop that's about a 20-minute walk from my apartment. During the day, it's full of kids playing role-playing games. But after 7 p.m., the place fills up with grown-ups. Although, most of them were still younger than me. And walking in, I felt a little weird, being like... Uh, Yes, I'd like to uh, start playing Dungeons and Dragons. But they were like, yeah, okay, cool. How I go about it, from when I'm deciding, I decided first... This guy named Kino sat down with me, and he just said, okay, uh, you got to build a character. It's the very first thing you got to do. So I said, okay, great. Um, And he said, so are are you a dwarf? Are you an elf? Are you a human? I didn't know. And then he said, well, well, do you want to be a fighter or a sorcerer or a cleric? And I'm like, wait, wait, those are two different things. (laughs) And he's like, okay, okay, I get a better idea. Who's your favorite character anywhere, any medium? I said, well, Batman. So they debated for a little while. It's group consensus. The closest Batman like character that could create for me would be a monk.
1: Uh, Arlen, maybe you can help yeah. me. Yeah.
2: Uh,
0: a good race for a monk.
2: That's a dexterity, monk. right? You see a halfling? Halfling, monk, humans? Halfling? Do you want to be a halfling?
0: What's a halfling? It's a little mini Frodo. creature, Frodo. There <laughs> you go. like Frodo? It's like three feet
2: yeah, tall. Yeah, I would either pick a human or a halfling person. Hopefully. Okay, so
0: what's the benefit of just being a plain old human?
2: Um, so humans have this variant where they can have plus one to all their attributes. Because they're not a, they don't have like magic spells like a drow does or like any extra features. But humans, they get that, where they get plus one to everything, and that could change your stats pretty significantly.
0: Since I'm completely starting out new, maybe a human's a good good starting point, human good training the wheels. the best
2: thing you could do. Like a human fighter is usually like the base class you could...
0: <laughs> the best in any,
2: any class. All right, sounds good. Very flexible. I'm, fami- I'm very
0: familiar with humans, too. Yeah, okay. Then I had to come up with a name for my character. And for some reason, Azrael kept popping in my head. And I was like, that's lame, Azrael, like the... Cat and the Smurfs. And then I remembered, oh right, Azrael was also the guy that filled in for Bruce Wayne in the 90s when Bruce Wayne got his back broken. So I decided to at least change it a little bit. I made it Azron. Some more details about Azron because I know those of you who are D&D players are going to wonder these things. He is chaotic good, meaning he'll do the right thing if he has to. His training is the way of the four elements, which allows him to do some earthy spells. I figured he should be able to do some spells, you know, even though he's a Batman-like character in this, in this world. But looking back, I really wish I had chosen a character who was simply some kind of wizard because I forgot how useless Batman can be when he follows the Justice League into a magical realm or when they go into outer space. Anyway, the next thing they had to do was figure out all the numbers that would define this character. So, you know, with D&D you get about uh, six different dice. And as you roll them, those numbers will be this character's strengths and weaknesses. The main thing I wanted for Azeron was really high dexterity, because I'm totally clumsy in real life. Finally, I was ready to start playing. Our dungeon master, or DM for short, was Tim. He sits at the center of the table behind a stack of books, which had this sort of detailed history of the world, of the characters, and as you go up the levels, what they're able to do, and scenarios for him to run through with us. So he had a piece of graph paper and he draws a sort of crude map and he does a little X and he says, okay, there's some pirates here, nasty pirates. And then about maybe five squares away, draws a little X on the graph paper and says, these are the locals being held captive. You guys are over here, draws another X. He turns to me and says, what do you wanna do? I didn't realize my choices were that open-ended. I said, okay, well, well, first I wanna make sure the hostages are okay. And he said, yeah, they are. Then I realized, okay, of course, this is not a humanitarian game. So what is his first move, this badass fighting monk that I've created? I'm still thinking cautiously, so I'm like, all right, well, I'm I kinda wanna run up this sort of like this wall up here to get a better look at the pirates and survey the threat.
3: So roll an ad plus four and just don't don't roll very badly on this. this I
0: rolled very badly. <laughs>
3: He rolled rolled a 1. So the 1 is the lowest roll you can get on a d20. Uh, 20 is great. 20 means that something awesome happened when you rolled. A 1 means that something really bad happened. And what that simply means is that you are like, hold on, I'll cut them off upstairs. You run up the stairs here, you get to the doorway right here, and you come running out. And as, as you kind of, well, you run up to the doorway and you kind of pop your head out. And as you pop your head out, you trip. And you actually stumble out onto the wall here. There was a little body lying against the wall right here. As you were trying to sneak out, it slipped and fell off the roof, and the entire crew looked up at you and went oh. Then
0: Tim rolled to see how the bad guys reacted.
3: The captain was not paying attention. This means I'm going to say that he actually just barely, he looked up and all his crew was like, we saw saw him up here pop out of the doorway. And he's like, saw who? And there was a guy. And he doesn't really...
0: This was the first moment where I was like, I get it. I get why D&D is so amazing. Because I tried writing screenplays for years, but I never would have written a scene like that where I set up this super fast, stealthy, badass character And on his first move, he trips, alerts the bad guys, and embarrasses himself in front of the new crew, which means that he has a massive amount of motivation to make up for that and prove to everybody, like, no, I am the badass that everybody said I'm supposed to be. And it wasn't even my choice. It was just the roll of the dice that dictated the story, and the dungeon master that looked at the numbers and said, okay, this is what these numbers mean. I kind of did a lot of table hopping, because I wanted to try different Dungeon Masters. And the experience was so different each time. Like, one of the DMs was all about combat, which meant it was all about the numbers. And when I listen back to the tape from that night, you would never know that we're playing a fantasy game. We sound like actuaries or bookies. Another huge factor was the personality of the players. Like, one night, there was a teenage kid in our group which was rare, it was mostly adults. And he decided that his character was a douche, his words. And he thought that was hilarious. And so as the night began, our little fellowship came across a group of fire worshippers, And the adults playing the game wanted to do a lot of recon missions to figure out who they were. And this kid thought it would be really funny if his character walked right up to the bad guys and just started insulting them. So the DM said, all right, they're pissed and they're going to strike back. And for the rest of the night, we were all desperately trying to stay alive. And yeah, you can die in D&D. One of the guys in the group said to this teenager that he didn't hate him, but his character did. And the kid looked so shaken, I seriously thought he was going to cry. I ended up playing at the Brooklyn Strategist for two months. Some nights, I showed up feeling stressed or depressed about whatever was going on in my life. And playing D&D for three hours was really cathartic. By the end, I felt pure joy. Like in the final round, when we faced this ginormous red dragon. Arlen, who helped create my character early in the summer, was our dungeon master. We were getting our asses kicked, trying to figure out how to stop this thing. And then I remembered I could actually use one of the few puny little spells that my monk had. Can I make the dragon still with my stillness of mind? Yes. I use stillness of mind. On so dragon. you
2: Okay, you're going to roll. Just this is for a special roll. It's a big dragon. You cast your hands up and your hands are shaking as you try to do this spell.
0: Oh three.
2: You can help him. I'll help him.
0: Okay. Arlen turned to this very mature ten year old kid who was staying up very late playing with us. And this character was also a monk. So we cast the same spell, stillness of mind. And he rolled very high. I don't
2: know what fifteen. <laughs> no, fifteen oh. is good. The dragon begins to calm down. The cave's still shaking, and he's and he um, rolls you with his with his snout, wondering what happened.
0: Aww.
2: I'm more like, what the hell? This guy calmed me down, like. Aww.
0: Can we pet the dragon?
2: Uh, I don't know. It's a red dragon, so you guys have like how long before he gets bored and starts to. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: In the end, I think D&D did help me think about approaching problems in a new way. You know, you kind of come into a situation with a certain amount of points. That's just who you are. Then you roll the dice. And if you roll well, then you can kind of overcome whatever it is that you have as your natural talents. And if you roll poorly, well, figure out a new strategy. So I'm actually joining a private D&D group. The adventures are supposed to be more character-driven, less about combat. I'm still chasing that high. Now, if you remember in that episode, at the very beginning, there was a woman named Arlen Foley who helped create my character. And then at the end of the episode, I actually tried being in one of her groups. And after that session where me and that kid lulled the dragon, I said to Arlen, you know, that is the kind of role playing that I wanted from D&D. And there was a guy who was sitting across from me named Adam Boritz who said, yeah, that's exactly what he was looking for, too. So Arlen asked us if we wanted to be in a private group with her. Three years later, we are still playing with the same characters that we invented for Arlen's Sessions. Not the character that you heard, that monk character, but a new one. Because I really wanted a character that was a real character, not just like a badass fighter with really good statistics. And the amount of people in our group has fluctuated over the years. Sometimes it's two, three people. Sometimes it's six people. But Adam Boritz and I have been playing the most consistently together with Arlen. So... I asked them to come to the studio to talk about the journey that we've been on. And it was also an opportunity for me and Adam to ask questions to Arlen, our dungeon master. Well, let me start with, okay, so how much, how much Arlen, have you been planning this along versus, like, like what is your planning process like? Because uh, when we play, it really feels like there's this world that you've created, and you've set all this stuff up for us to discover. And occasionally, you voice your disappointment when we realize there was something <laughs> amazing you had set up that we completely walked right by.
2: Well, before, it was more really planned out what I wanted you guys to do, all the triggers for all the events. And I think that's where my disappointment came from, like having everything so mapped out and you guys are like, I'm going to go that way or I'm going to go this way. And I'm like, no, at least I'll go that way. Which is
1: what we did the first day, right?
2: Yeah, you guys did something really weird and I wasn't prepared. And I learned over time that what works for me is making it similar to a theme park where there are rides all over the place and you guys get to choose which ride you want to be on. Mm. And then I just go with that. So I feel more in control. I have like things that happen um, in those particular settings, but it feels free-flowing and I just spend my nights weaving it all together after the game so it makes sense for the next time.
0: Well, it's interesting because I mean, okay, so when I created my character, well, first of all, his name, first of all, I, I decided to give him as much personality as possible. I made him a halfling. I wanted him to to have a lot of magic, but I didn't know anything about D&D, so that's why I decided he was—I asked you, like, what could he be if he has a huge amount of magic and has no idea how to use it? He just goes, spell, and it happens. And you said (laughs) a sorcerer, and you suggested—no, somebody else suggested wild magic and said Arlen will totally screw with you if you do wild magic, (laughs) which means that you are so out of control of your magic that every time you try to do one spell, another spell will accidentally happen. And, that's, and then I got his name through a random name generator, Stubborn Lippy. But then you guys started calling him Stubbs.
2: I like the progression of Stubbs.
0: Yeah. How would you describe him or his progression or him him and his progression?
2: Just someone with a lot of – it sounds so corny, but someone with a lot of potential where he's just figuratively, literally has all this power and doesn't know what to do with it. And he's just the kindest guy in the group, wants to everything to be fair, wants to – just wants the most peaceful resolution ever.
0: Although corruptible,
2: <laughs> although very pliable.
0: <laughs> and I feel like the story
1: of Stubbs will be the story of innocence lost. <laughs> you know, he started out very uh, innocent, and and uh, and now we're entering this phase in the campaign where you know where we see a bit of the the darker, more serious Stubbs.
0: So then, Adam, your character is like the exact opposite of mine, and yet our our two characters have this incredible like Laurel and Hardy sort of like. <laughs> They Chem- do. Chemistry, true. how did you come up with your character? Well, I wanted to play a rogue because I feel like I always play rogues. And
1: he didn't start off as evil as he was. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of just wanted him to be sort of chaotic, neutral, kind of, you know, a roguish, badass character. Um, and I don't know. And then he just sort of got worse and worse as time went on. And then we find him in his current state where he's... <laughs> Really, just just horrible. So, <laughs>
0: but he's charming. He's very charming. How did you come up with his voice? You know, I don't know. I feel
1: like his voice found me, and then like since then, like I haven't been able to like play a character unless I can like find the right voice for it. Mm-hmm. Like because we had another game that we played briefly, yeah, and I had had two characters because Arlen killed one of them, um, <laughs> but both of them I never really felt like I found like the right voice, and so I never felt like I was really like that character. Whereas with with my rogue in this campaign, Mourn, like I feel like I can just like drop in. Into him in any
0: situation, I like to know what he says. Well, when you were on paternity leave, we went to the alternate universe where you had never been born, and we met all of your <laughs> relatives, and we were doing your, because you had this sort of well, well, well you know, kind of voice, and we were all. Hours
2: com- and hours of mourning yes. yes, Oh, really? We were, we were all
0: competing to see who could best impersonate Mourn as your relatives in the world that your character <laughs> was never born. As and, and, females, too. And and who, uh, who who did the best? Arlen. Nice. <laughs> Um, it's funny too, because I mean, I remember early on, I found it really hard to find stubs. It would take me a good hour to get into character. And I would always think of like Michael J. Fox- in family ties back to the future, but at his most vulnerable moments, but but he's a halfling like that's kind of how I would try to imagine stubbs and but it would take me like an hour until I finally was like the world of the game shop had disappeared, and I was completely in our world, and now it's just instant like you 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 pose a situation and you're like, "What does Stubbs do?" And I just start speaking, and i when I describe the character to my wife, she's like, "Oh, it's primordial Eric Malinsky." <laughs> <laughs>
1: But but I think that's like the, one of the great things about Stubbs as well is that um you know the way that you play is very much in line with what Stubbs would or would not do and i i feel like you don't you know a lot of players will like do things for the advantage of their character or for mm-hmm. to move the game along, but like you definitely i feel like don't do things unless that is like what Stubbs would do or is being forced to do, which is great,
0: yeah
2: and that is a gift as a <laughs> as a dm I appreciate it there's times where i've Encountered characters where I know their alignment, I know their background, and I know all this stuff about the character, and it put the character plays more like an extension of the player instead.
0: Yeah. Well, when did you decide? Because you 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 invented this huge backstory for me. Because I had him as just like kind of a misfit in a village who left to become a bard. You came up with this storyline where you're like, "Do you mind if I create this huge backstory for Stubbs?" And I was like, "That's fine." And it turns out he's like, he was like a fae lord. He was like a lord from the (laughs) from the fae realm, and had like had been sent. He had lost his memory and had been sent to the material plane. And I just accepted all this as like, okay, this is what I'm working (laughs) with. But like, I'm glad I worked. But why did you? Why did you decide that?
2: Honestly, I just wanted Stubbs and Eric to know that they were bigger. Than what they thought. Because I remember we spoke a lot about getting in character and you were having little difficulties. Like, what should Stubbs do? And I was like, let me just show him the mountain. Yeah. And that he's much greater and much more powerful than any of these people at the table if he just gives himself a chance to climb this mountain. And I just wanted it for you and Stubbs because I felt in the beginning Stubbs was kind of falling into the background and not getting because we had very um, outspoken players at the table who kind of just stepped forward.
0: Yeah. And I was very new and very happy to play the sidekick early on. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we've had some really interesting character moments. Like there's a term called the NPC, which is a non-playing character, which is a character that you play. Mm-hmm. I always describe when I describe you to other people as my DM. I always say she's like a one-person theatrical company, like the NPC. The relationship that we have with your NPCs is amazing because, like, we have individual chemistry with certain NPCs that you've created based mm-hmm. on the, the the relationships that develop naturally. And you also do a lot of voices. You do, you do yeah, a you lot do of great voices. You do great accents. <laughs> You do. You're Irish, like I love the I Irish yeah, accent. No, for you don't like sure. British accents, and yeah, your stuffy like rich old guy
1: <laughs> voice is great. I
2: can't even remember who that was. Who was that? Who's the stuffy rich white? Uh,
0: we've we've had a, we've had a few of those. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes. they populate me-
0: medieval times. Really. I mean, what's that been like for you? When you take on an NPC and you notice that we have different chemistry with those particular NPCs,
2: it's a lot just generally a lot. Um I try to keep my my NPCs as separated from myself because then you guys start getting attached to them, having conversations. Like mostly they're just depositories of information that you guys can just withdraw whatever you need. I appreciate the relationships you guys create, but there's times where you'll see me trying to kill off a lot of the NPCs <laughs> cuz I like we don't need them anymore, guys. Like I have nothing for them. Like they and they I just become I feel like the how many guys five the sixth player sometimes, mm-hmm. tagging along with your adventures, you know, following, trying to respond to like guys. I think we should stop. Like, oh, I'm not going with you. I can't. You can't. Well, we become me. so attached to the
0: your <laughs> N- the NPCs. It's really hard for us to want to to ha- to have them die. I,
2: well, the, I let them happen though. They they've given us some of the greatest moments in the campaign, mm. the relationships friendships and relationships and the i know that one of our characters was a student Ilo of, yeah Ilo oh sweet Ilo but Ilo was a you know a dear friend of Stubbs and Arcander's apprentice and she had a much she developed something much deeper with everybody well, which with made the- her
1: with Stubbs there was almost uh, some romance in the air there. Wasn't that was
2: there? no way. <laughs> <laughs> Stubbs was
0: too afraid. <laughs> Stubbs is primordial Eric Malinsky. He never asks <laughs> any girls on dates.
2: <laughs> I think a lot of the other characters were like, "Hey, Stubbs, like get in on that." But Stubbs <laughs> was really wanted something a genuine connection with her, especially when everyone was treating her like crap for that period of time she was possessed
1: that's true still, I still when someone's bol- possessed they just get treated like crap <laughs> yeah
2: no once a once the demonic entity enters <laughs> them like it's all over so well that's interesting
0: though because the, the big dramatic moment for me in the entire three years we've been playing is when Ilo told me my character personally that she was going to do a spell that would save us all but she would die
2: mm-hmm.
0: and she said don't tell Arkander who was her her, her mentor right and I literally didn't I yeah. you wrote a note to me
2: Passed it you you the passed
0: team. the note to me so that the player Noah, who was playing Arcander, literally did not know she was going to commit suicide to save us all, and I respected her choice. And he got so mad at me afterwards. We got into this; we it got really intense. And then there was a moment we even took a break, like we stepped out of character, and he's like, "We're cool, right?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we're just playing Aww,
2: the game." I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, and then we went
0: right back into it. It was like it was intense.
2: I think that. It was a hard moment because for me, it was like, I. she can't do this alone, but she can't ask her teacher who she has this very deep connection with. It was like her father figure. He had considered her like his daughter being an elf. I knew that if I told Arkander, if I had told Arkander or I had told Noah, he'd be like, no, not happening. I'm going to save her because he'd been trying to protect her this whole time. But I knew that I will have this very sweet relationship and <laughs> Stubbs is this really powerful wild mesh, so he could help her. And she knew that he would she would knew that he would respect her wishes. Yeah,
0: what was that like? She also, by the way, Ilo had this great Irish accent too. No,
2: I can't. I know, I can't you're not gonna make remember. you do it. Yeah. I'm
0: not gonna make you do it. Yeah. But um <laughs> what was that like to watch that play out?
2: I didn't think that you guys would react like that. I think it would would have been like a moment of silence kind of thing, and we would move on. But it's something that's everyone's carrying, like, up to now. Like, remember when I sacrificed yourself to save us? And the beauty of it is Stubbs kept, like, her whole plan and, like, kept everything very discreet. Noah was really trying to, like, Noah was playing our candor in a way that, he was just not hearing anything Stubbs said. He just thought it was Stubbs' fault. Like Stubbs could have stopped it. And oh yeah, he yeah. blamed me. Yeah, and Stubbs just held held his ground, and stuck with his ideals, and respected his friend's decision. And I, that's, I was like, oh god, <laughs> that that's a moment.
0: That was emotional. What about yeah. you, Adam? What was your most emotional or intense moment?
1: Ah, uh, the most emotional moment for Morn. Um, I, well, I guess it would be when he learned that his parents, uh, whom he assumed ha- have been dead for years, are actually possibly not dead. So I think that was kind of like a moment that challenged me as a player too, because I mean, like you said, like Morn is kind of charming and and entertaining, and not as a character, not really in touch with his feelings. So that was like a challenging moment to play. Uh, him as a character, because, you know, to react authentically, that would go to, like, his, like, deepest wound. That was the other thing, is that when I, you know, Morin wanted to head in a different direction than the rest of the party to sort of pursue the mystery of his parents' death and his background, and another player did not want Morin to do that and cast a uh, suggestion spell on my character, basically preventing me from doing that.
0: It was so funny the way you played it, because, like... I could see you as the actor in that moment, both pretending to be hypnotized and suddenly could not caring less about your parents, <laughs> sure. and yet hinting that there's something really wrong with that, and that when you discover you've been hypnotized, you're going to be really, really like there is going to be payback to this.
1: Yeah, you know, it was a, it was a fun moment to to play, and I think that that was what I tried to do, because uh, I emailed Arlen, I think <laughs> after that with like plans for like. You know, exacting Enge. revenge, and they never really came to fruition. And I think the uh, the player who uh, who did that, like, we had we had a chat by a river, oh, our two yeah. characters, <laughs> and sort of worked
0: things out. Yeah, which which by the way was a faux pas. You're not right. supposed to. You can do whatever you want to the NPCs, to the non playing characters, but the actual people in your group, you're not supposed to cast spells against them. and I didn't even know that because I was I was pretty early on in D and D. So or,
2: the reason why the suggestion spell happened. It's because you were like, I'm going to Icewind Dale. I'm going to find my parents. I'm getting on that ship, guys. You can't stop me.
0: Oh, you were going to break up the party. Yeah, well, that's what my character would have done. major way. Yeah,
2: yeah. The thing was is that, you know, I don't want the other players to be nervous. Like, don't worry. I'll always keep you together, but you got to trust in the story. Trust in me that I'll make it work. I would have figured out a way to stop him organically.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those ones where your, your character is... Not acting in in what you perceive as the best interests of the game, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are definitely times where, like, you and I'm sure you you know this playing stubs, where you like, this is the only thing my character would ever do under these circumstances, Mm -hmm. and that's what I'm just going to have to do, even if you don't really want to.
2: Well, that goes with the last question I was going to say is that I think that a lot of people who play aren't actors, and sometimes what I've noticed with people playing any RPG is that the character they make is just a small little extension from themselves that it's just, we just grow and nurture and becomes this own being and you get, you have more of a connection to it because it is a part of yourself. What what I notice what I notice about players cause like it's whenever you guys play others, other characters in other games, it's just another version of Warren or it's another version of Stubbs or another version of Adam and Eric that just come out because instead of what actors do, I don't, know the whole process but we're, we're just a bunch of people playing and have to take our roles and what's our what's the closest inspiration that we have is ourselves
0: that's a really interesting point about us not being actors because we are it, it is very much like being an actor but but someone hasn't written this role for you and it's true you don't you know really good actors i mean uh they talk about the best actors they, they often get insulted sometimes when people think like you know um like i remember when um after Heath Ledger died, a lot of people are like, oh, that character of the Joker, it tormented him to death or something like that. And Christian Bale was in an interview and he just said, do you know how insulting that is to an actor to claim that they cannot play a role without it like taking over their life? Right. And I mean, there's a whole debate about that with method acting and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting, too, when you think about that, like in d and or in a lot of these role playing games, we are taking on. In some ways, the craft of acting without really having the training of being an actor, and it's, I think I imagine for some people, it's hard to let that go or to 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 not personalize it too much.
2: Yeah, we've totally had people to like just way too immersed and way too attached to the idea of their character and like needs to express this character in this certain way. I think the we even had a the very <laughs> the very first game we had someone for one session with us. Mm -hmm. He was very attached to playing this very good, very lawful character to a point where he was satisfied, but it was really wrecking the game for me and for everybody else, where he was just Taking it upon himself to do certain actions, because, like, but that's what my character would do. So you got to just roll with it. And I'm like, no, I don't have to. You're not even listening to what I'm saying. You're literally playing a one man show back there, and I'm there over here doing another thing.
1: Which is interesting, too. And I I talked to my wife about our games you know, whenever I go home. And she thinks it's ridiculous. But also she... As does my <laughs> wife. She also
0: never remembers my character name. She's always like, how's Muffin Stubbers? <laughs>
1: but but my wife's always like, well, it's probably because because Arlen's a female and they can't handle, the, you know, the, 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 a woman being like in charge of the entire world, which I think is like an interesting... Uh, it's an interesting, an interesting,
2: interesting thought. Yeah. I'm, I never thought about that. I've had the fortune to have people playing with me who who kind of who just treat me as another person at the table. I feel very lucky. You know, I hear horror stories about other females out there trying to host games and it not working. You have to kind of hold your ground. I think the best thing a DM can achieve is becoming invisible to the entire table when I'm not there and you guys are just you know doing whatever you need to do and my voice is just narrating like I'm this small Asian woman I'm only 4 foot 11 and then when I'm doing all these scary voices and you know hoity toity or doing an Irish accent or British or doing garbles of a Cthulhu beast and you guys can see that instead of me then it's I've done my job. I've totally done my job.
0: Are we I mean are are we more into role playing than your other groups?
2: No, um I've made it known to a lot of people who play with me it's very role playing heavy that sometimes I don't even get to roll dice. Like there's been times where we're just talking. It's yeah. just us talking the whole time and there's no rolls. I make it clear now because in the beginning, when I was just working for a game store and they were just assigning me tables and people were very unsatisfied with how I wanted to play, I learned my lesson and I had to just tell people, listen, this is what's going to be like, I don't do a lot of combat and when I do a lot of combat, it's short, it it will never, like the combat will never trump what I'm trying to achieve with the story.
0: And there is still a lot more story to tell. Also, my character kind of accidentally destroyed the world of the Fey Realm, where he came from, and I really, really need to make that right. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Adam Bortz, Arlen Foley, and of course, everybody who was in the original D&D episode. Imaginary Worlds is part of the Panoply Network. My assistant producer is Stephanie Billman. You can like the show on Facebook, I tweet at E. Malinsky and Imagine Worlds Pod. My website is imaginaryworldspodcast.org. Panoply. Welcome to a journey
1: into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs?